<laughs> okay. Welcome back to the Before You Die podcast, where every week we watch a movie from the 1001 movies to watch Before You Die list and give you our opinion on whether or not it's worth your time. My name is James, and as usual, I'm joined by Gavin and Craig, and this week we're discussing The Sixth Sense. In this episode, we discuss the 1999 mystery horror thriller The Sixth Sense. In this chilling psychological thriller, eight-year-old Cole Sear is haunted by a dark secret. He's visited by ghosts. Confused by his paranormal powers, Cole is too young to understand his purpose and too afraid to tell anyone about his anguish, except for child psychologist Dr. Malcolm Crow, played by Bruce Willis. As Dr. Crow tries to uncover the ominous truth about Cole's supernatural abilities, the consequences for client and therapist are a jolt that awakens them both to something harrowing and unexplainable. I'm scared already. I want to tell you my secret now. So let's do this. Um, let's start with uh, the cast, as we tend to. Who would like to go first on their thoughts about the cast? We'll let Craig go first. Seems how he's not on hosting duties, so he can <laughs> he can get the ball rolling. So we had Haley Joel Osment. He was like eleven in that movie. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be eight, but yeah. he's I think I read that he was eleven. Bruce Willis for his penance, he had to do this movie. Um, why did he? Why was that? Because of uh, he fired the director. I think from one of the movies he was doing. What was it called? I was going to say Brooklyn Brawler, Brooklyn but I'm pretty Brawler. sure he's a, jo- a jobber wrestler. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I think, was. I think it is Brooklyn Brawler. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. He was fired from his role as uh, from Brooklyn Brawler. Or he walked out one or the other. But so the was, Broadway Brawler. The Broadway, 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 Broadway Brooklyn Brawler yeah. biopic would have been so much <laughs> better. It would have been way better. He we're fact-checking today, guys. We're yeah. fact-checking. Yeah, we're getting a shit right. <laughs> so yeah, you had to do this as punishment. Disney made him sign on for three movies. This was the first one, then Armageddon, and then The Kid. Um, one of them is not like the others. <laughs> not at all. He did look a little bit like he, 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 it felt like he looked like he was in trouble a little bit in this film. Like, like he, he was being, he'd been naughty. <laughs> like a he, bold child. Yeah, like a bold child. He's put in the, in the naughty corner for this film. Uh, who else? Donnie Wahlberg, what a very short cameo, and I didn't even realise who he was. So either. unrecognisable, you didn't recognise him. No, New Kids from the Block, one of my favourite bands growing up, and just <laughs> I didn't even notice it was Donnie Wahlberg. He actually, you know, he reminded me of that guy, um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh yeah, Jimmy Cricket. No, the, McPoyle. The McPoyle, yeah. yeah. He, he looked like one of the brothers. I, can't, I don't know the, the guy's name. He's a good actor though. Tony Collette. Tony Collette. She was, she she was, was, she was impressive yeah. in this film. There's a bit at the end where they're in the car and uh, Haley Joel Osment's character is kind of talking to her saying I'm ready to tell you my secrets and then he gives her that whole kind of thing about the, the grandmother and why the bumblebee pendant keeps getting moved around and 
the, her reaction was was amazing. It was know? brilliant. So she's just she's a brilliant actress. Like, yeah. That was a scene that made her kind of want to do the movie because that was her audition scene, and she said that she didn't know it was actually a horror film until after the film had been released mm. because of whatever way it was shot. It, it was actually shot in um or filmed in sequence. Oh really? Yeah. Movie, yeah. So obviously she wasn't in certain scenes, so she didn't realize that. Yeah. It was supposed to be a horror film, but yeah, she said that scene, the audition scene, was really. Because it was so emotional and the connection between her and the and the kid, she thought it was really good, so she she signed on to do it. Who am I missing? Tony Collette, Bruce Willis, and Olivia Williams is. Oh, Olivia Williams, uh, his wife. Yeah, yeah. I didn't recognize her either. I don't. She's, were she's you drunk I, watching? <laughs> actually, I may have been slightly drunk. I, I, I had a, a few beers. Were you drinking spirits? <laughs> oh, so much comedy. This is there's a lot more comedy in this, and there's not even because we're not hung over. <laughs> there are zero hangovers in this room right now. But she, to be fair, she did spend a lot of the time asleep. In yes, and cold. Kind of, yeah. Really, yeah, she was really cold. Oh. Yeah. But that kind of downplays. Like we'll talk about characters later, I guess. But her character had a very significant meaning to me watching this the second time around, which we, we'll talk about it. But we didn't talk actually. Man, what did you think about? The, just the general cast like uh, I thought the cast was perfect for what it is I was saying yeah. to you earlier on I think everyone had played it with restraint so I think the whole kind of when you think about it it is a bit of a ridiculous story seeing ghosts and all that but I think you believed Haley Joel Osment you believed uh, Bruce Willis you believed Olivia. everyone was believable Like that's one thing I'm surprised from a Shyamalan film where he allowed that much restraint because you can see how big some of the performances get in his later films whereas in this he allows the, he allows the people to kind of have a human reaction to it and because of that, I think you you're gonna have a much kind of more natural uh, kind of uh, emotional attachment and reaction to the film, and that's why something like that scene with Tony Collette works so well. Although I think she is in for me anyway. She the favorite my favorite performance in the film is her. I well I love Haley Joel Osment as well, but I think um, Tony Collette in this film is is a badass. I love her start to finish. I think she's amazing in this film. She's so strong as well, I find, but then she shows that weakness and then all the way through she works two jobs. Like she conveys so much about her character in throwaway scenes and just throwaway moments. Like when she pretty much the way she protects um Haley Joel Osmond's character Cole in this film, you can show she has a strength that she doesn't necessarily have to show with big grandstanding moments. In fact her big grandstanding moment is emotion a moment of of weakness when she breaks down because she she earns that not because she had it in these grandstanding moments she earns it because you just know she's a badass she's been a rock and anytime she does fall it hits you so hard because she plays it so pitch perfectly for me mvp was tony collette i love Haley joel osmond but like i said i think tony collette throughout she was, was phenomenal yeah. she was really good but we haven't we haven't talked about one other actor that appears in this film, like, and that is M Night Shyamalan himself. Oh yes, the, how, how did you feel about that, Craig? The doctor, just like what an egotistical motherfucker. <laughs> 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 no, I, I I watched it because I said I would watch it, and I gave it another shot because um, I'd only ever seen the film once, and I had forgotten that he made a cameo in the film, and the moment his face popped up, I was like, God damn it. <laughs> it just it took me out of it for a few minutes because I don't know what it is about directors or writers or anybody casting themselves in in the movie. I just I don't like seeing people, especially someone who's writing or directing a star in their own movie and have lines. If they're just in the background somewhere, that's fine. The but, Hitchcock. That's I personally yeah. would have preferred a Hitchcock style cameo yeah. than. Yeah, just his else. face in the background. He could have even been a ghost. Whatever, put himself as a ghost. I don't care, yeah. but don't give yourself lines, especially as a doctor, because instantly. You're thinking, this is like an episode of Days of Our Lives. You know, it's very yeah. daytime soap, I think, with M. Night Shyamalan. But 
I'll give him full credit. I think he wrote this solely, directed this solely, and I don't think he, I don't think he did a bad job in this film at all. Yeah, we we were talking about how our relationship with M Night Shyamalan. Well, okay, I I kind of mentioned it, but there's actually a film where where I depart with my fandom of this guy is the happening. That's a I lot was, longer than other people. Because I, uh, I know some people dropped water. off. Lady, or some, I know some people in the village. And I the know village, there is me. some people that the ending of Signs was enough for them to drop off. So you yeah. really gave him... I, I stuck with it. Yeah. Like, I, th- I think um, I, would, I stopped watching them through enjoyment. Just enjoying the story. I watched them for the way they were made. Because I think he, he, he does do a good job of... He's a good craftsman. Framing, crafting shots, that whole thing. Yeah, exactly. It's just... There's loads of contributory factors to it, but... Like just riffing off what you were saying about the cameo and what you were saying about the cameo, it, that cameo became something more and more ridiculous yeah. as each movie. Can you on. rank the cameos then? Yeah. Oh, you the worst, seen man, the worst cameo for me was Lady in the Water. Oh, I where seen he it. made himself the 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 crux of the entire story. Oh like he God. was the reason why everything was happening That's to a, make this yeah. book. Which would ultimately that goes far beyond the cameo at that point. He's a supporting actor. Yeah, he was gunning for that Oscar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you, you listen to the interviews, and he's like, yeah, like he was. He's so full of confidence, and he's. Yeah. But I think that, like, to be honest, that's okay. I think that's fine. You know that yeah. that level of confidence and I almost arrogance. That swagger he brought to making a film like Sixth Sense works. Works for Unbreakable. Works for parts of Science. It's like I said when he starts. It, the problem is when someone is that egotistical when they start getting knocked back. They get more defensive and they kind of go back to their old tricks and stick with them. So people, for example, people would say to him, you're always going with twists. Why does it always have to be a twist? And he's like, you, you don't like twists? I'm going to give you a twist. Trees are killing people. Like, that's where he kind of ended up. Like, because he gets he gets so freaked out by, I think he can't really take that criticism. Whereas something like Sixth Sense, where he did go with all this swagger and kind of youthful exuberance, maybe. It, I think it works so well because he does have that and he's prepared he pretty much put, makes it pretty obvious looking back what that twist is like the reason that twist works so well is like jeez how did I not cop onto that purely because he framed that exactly how he wants to he even left certain shots in there and you're thinking jeez that really that's really on the nose but yeah, yeah. We, no, no, no one knew that the reason that was so big I think you were saying James about was it from week one to week two in the box office in America it was a 2% drop off rate of people yeah. going to see it that's because people said, "I didn't see that coming." Now, if this was a, if this was a twist that didn't work, that drop off would not have been that small. It would have been a lot bigger. Huge. People generally would have. I think as well in the year two thousand, it was the most rented DVD and video that year. Eighty million rentals. Like that's people. Like that was one of the biggest films of the year the year before. But people still yeah, haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah. People that that's that's when you know a twist is good. People don't tell people because they say, "Oh, you have to see it for yourself." Yeah. Even knowing there's a twist in there, people still didn't figure it out even though he signposted it throughout. So I think that that kind of arrogance to put himself in films, whatever, that was fine when he was kind of making his way, when he was clawing his way to that, that A-list or whatever. But I think eventually that was his undoing in a way, you know, so. Yeah, I think people kind of start to roll their eyes up over it yeah. towards yeah. the end. Um, you expect it now. Like yeah, yeah. Even then, like, does up. anyone roll their eyes, roll their eyes when... Quentin Tarantino's because I do and I love Quentin Tarantino but him putting himself in again and I guess to be honest he is an arrogant director oh, but yeah. that's the height of arrogance to do it it's just for whatever reason you can take it in Tarantino's because the films around him are better yeah that's the, the reason we start getting st- this, the reason we start getting sick of it in Shyamalan films is because Lady in the Water is not that good so <laughs> so, so we talked about M. Night Shyamalan as like how he 
appears in this film and the rest of his films, let's talk about how he directed this film. So, like, how do you think? Do you think he did a good job with it? Bad job? Is he awesome? Okay, so direction, even though I have my issues with Emily Shyamalan, yeah. I, I, I did think... <laughs> More that, issues in the Rolling Stones. Oh, that's yeah, the, uh, the direction was... It was quite good. Like, I, I was surprised watching it again because I, I remember... I think I said it already, but this was only the second time I've ever seen this film, so there was a lot of stuff I didn't notice the first time that I noticed the second time, and the framing like of some of the scenes is, is really good. It, it really helps to build attention, I think, at some points, because it's not really a... There's a couple of jump scares, but it's not really a jump scare type of movie. It's more, I think, about building the tension and, mm. and framing the scenes in such a way that you're kind of... You're led to believe something might happen, but it's not always going to happen, or that something's going to pop out, or you might see somebody standing behind somebody else. There's not always somebody there in the background. Yeah. There's one scene later on in the movie, like, I think... It stood out to me for whatever reason, but it's near the very end where Bruce Willis has kind of figured out that he's, well, almost come to terms with the fact that he's dead. Um, and he goes back to the church and Haley Joel Osment is there up on a balcony kind of looking playing down. with his yeah. soldiers and he's looking down at him. But the two of them start, like Haley Joel Osment is picking up his soldiers as he goes along and he's asking Bruce Willis questions and then it cuts to behind Haley Joel and he's walking along and the camera kind of pans along with them as they're walking like I thought it just looked really cool I think he does that trail because even during that scene that's when finally Haley Joel Osmond's character Cole knows something that uh, Bruce Willis doesn't and he literally has the upper hand he's looking down and saying yeah. look I know what's going on you probably kind of know what's going on but you're pretending you don't and he has this arrogance to him even the way he talks to him I think he's he says something like, oh, you don't know, do you? Kind of, kind yeah, he, of something along those he lines. He asks him, yeah, you want to ask me some questions now, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah he has all the knowledge. Like, yeah. <clears throat> but even in character. the beginning, like, it's that's what I mean. I think the direction, I think, is really good. But I think it, it comes from this kind of youthful arrogance that he had. And I think that's what makes the twist good. Why, why it makes the film work is because he has this arrogance. So he constantly signposts this. Constantly. Like, there's this, if you're watching it for the second time anyway you're thinking, how did I not notice this? Because, like, for example, you know, the, the gunshot wounds on his back? Yeah. And there's a scene where he has his back to Haley Joel Osment, and Haley Joel Osment will be looking at him with the blood stain would have been on his back, and we don't see that, but we're thinking, all right, this is just normal. But at no point are we thinking during the film, well, I know the first time I saw it, I wasn't thinking, why doesn't he have an office? Why is, why is he always meeting him in these certain places? And also, you never think he doesn't speak to anyone in this film. So, yeah. I mean, it just works because I think he said... Look, I'm putting it out there. People figure it out. That's that's on that's on them. That's fine. But I'm saying I'm putting it out there. I have the confidence that not everyone is going to figure this out, and that's why the twist I think works so well. And that's why that two mm. percent drop off can happen. And I do think framing is a big part of that. You'll yeah, frame definitely. a scene like the color red, for example. You he loves going to it. Like it is a bit on the nose. Like that's maybe what typifies um, Shyamalan's direction for the rest of his career. It is very on the nose, on point, which can be a problem. Like it works in something where. You're having bold characters being drawn, like in Unbreakable, for example. But then, as it gets to be a more personal story, like Science, it gets a little bit too on the nose. Lady in the Water, too on the nose. Yeah, happening that is like a, a punch on the nose. Yeah. Then. And I think with um with Sixth Sense, he had this kind of even though he was arrogant, there was an, a restraint to his arrogance, and I think that's what made the film so so memorable. Like for example, I think his his framing as well. He never has anyone pop up behind someone. He never has that, goes through that scare. He never has Cole looking looking in the mirror and suddenly closes it over and ooh, the ghost appears. Yeah. He'll leave a frame wide open and a ghost will walk into it. Like there's one scene I remember when I saw it in the cinema at the time where Cole is using the bathroom and... The, that was brilliant. Yeah, I remember, like, ooh. And that's the only time, like that's the one scare where, but like 
it should have been obvious. But again, he had this area like, yeah, you know there's a scarecrow, but I'm going to just put it there anyway. It's the same with he leaves a wide open um, hallway at one point and has the kid walk walk through. Just, come on, let's come with me. And he's yeah. got the, the gunshot wound. Let me show you my dad's gun, where my dad yeah. keeps going. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny with the, the spacing as well. A lot of the <laughs> scene, if looking at it now, there's a, quite a few scenes in there where Haley Joel Osmond is kind of standing, but he's always slightly off center. Mm, and there's yeah. always a space that's actually played into it at one point in one scene where Bruce Willis is sitting on a, on a sofa in, in the ho- their house and he plays that game where he says, like, if I get the question yeah. right, you take a step forward. If I get a question right, you take a step back. Mm. And halfway through that, Haley Joel Osmond looks at the space, at very specifically at something unseen in that space and says, what am I thinking now? Um, which, you know, there's a potential that there could be something else standing in that room with him. Mm. He's just so commonplace to that. The biggest scare in that film for me was with the, the little girl puking up. Oh, it was yeah. a very young yeah, Misha yeah. Barton yeah. who became, you know, in the, the OC, that TV show. That scene, and I'm not even joking, when I went to see that at the cinema, I literally leapt out of my seat, <laughs> spilling popcorn and water and liquid over like um, someone, someone in front of me. And wait, wait what type of liquid is this? It was, it was, it was just, uh, it was like fizzy water. All oh, right, I thought, I thought this was. You got really excited. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't wet myself, uh, which is actually quite normal for horror films to me. Like, and I literally shouted, "What the fuck is that?" Because it's the scene where he's in the tent and the, the, the pegs, pegs open, yeah, and like something's that, gonna yeah. come through there. Something's gonna come through there. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. just this little girl right in front of him. Like, yeah, that that was that was an unnerving moment for mm. me. But it was interesting because as I got older and I didn't think like, oh, this is pant crappingly scary. I started to think about the way he played around with that space because everyone I think in that cinema or who watches that for the first time expects the to see like a face leering yeah. through the gap or whatever. Yeah. They don't expect the the ghost to be in that tent already with him. Yeah. He just hasn't looked at it yeah. yet, which is quite interesting. And, and I love I love the way space is played around with. Like a, a lot of the the scenes are played from, like you were saying, Craig, over the shoulder from behind in some sort of corner of the room. Yeah. Um, like at the beginning of the film, when um, Anna comes down the stairs to kind of get the bottle of wine from the wine cellar, most of that scene is filmed from behind the wine rack. Or behind a, yeah a, a he loves like, that shot yeah, there's yeah. a scene where, with Anna again actually Olivia Williams character where she's selling the ring it's actually a really good comedic scene we're selling the ring and it's yeah. literally just from the inside the display the case. case so you're pretty much inside the display case and looking at a, mar- a couple that are getting engaged and as well actually it's pretty well directed comedically like the guy kind of is looking at Olivia Williams show like what the hell are you talking about <laughs> and then Olivia Williams is like oh this was I think this was a guy who gave this to a lost love that never never happened and then the fiance kind of picks up on it and says oh was it a guy with long curly uh, brown hair and then the guy's got like oh god damn you've got me and I love <laughs> I love that like I think yeah. um, again that's just this confidence because he could have played that really seriously and no one would have begrudged him no one would have said oh that lacks humour because it's a ghost story but M. Night Shyamalan was like yeah I'm putting humour in it yeah I'm going to put make it obvious I'm going to signpost a twist I'm going to have a massive twist that's going to pull yeah. the rug under from other people but like that's again it just comes down to how well he can actually direct how well he can frame a shot yeah. everything like he is kind of he's probably what if uh, if someone was going to film school this is what they're probably told this is how you frame a horror shot this is how you yeah. frame this shot and he and he does it well I don't know if you could call him Paul Thomas Anderson where he was literally like a wonderkind but I think he is what you'd say was like he'd be like the A student whereas Paul Thomas Anderson would be like well no I'm going to go make this art film he'd get a D or an E for it but M. Night Shyamalan was like I'm going to do everything I'm supposed to do and I'm going to get rewarded for it and he did and he 
like you can't I can't fault him I don't think he's particularly flashy or showy but I think he's technically very very proficient and you have to applaud that sometimes you know it's like I remember Michael Mann once saying he likes nothing better to watch someone do something do something they're really good at he's really good at framing a shot he's really good at using the camera he's really good at motifs and like I said it's not particularly exciting it's not particularly showy or sexy but when you see someone that good operating at that level I think watching something like Sixth Sense you're thinking oh this guy really knows what he's doing so I think I'd find it hard to fault the direction for this film and the story that he made, you know, he was putting putting out there. So, so what do you think? As a good question to both of you, because we're kind of still on topic. But, um, what do you think has led to this downfall of M Night Shyamalan? Like, if you could say there was one, one or two things, what do you think would that be? That has you know, over the years, of course, like from from the sixth yeah. sense. Mm. For me, anyway, just from the movies that I've seen of his, I've seen most of them. There's a few I've avoided, like The Last Airbender. But um, stay away from that. Film. Yeah. <laughs> just, I think his. One of his big downfalls, and it's it's difficult for a director like that when you start off with such a strong film, is always trying to add a twist into something. You can have a trademark, that's fine. You can be really good at cinematography, good at framing stuff, creating amazing looking scenes and, and building story that way. But when you're always relying on a twist or something to just fool the audience, I think people get tired of it i did anyway and I, it just made me not want to watch his films anymore uh, i i gave up after the village because i was like i was really like hooked on that like for the first maybe i don't know how long the film is but i'd say it's for a good, it's a good hour i think the first hour yeah, I think is pretty strong at least yeah, yeah at least the first hour anyway i remember watching it in the cinema i think i was working in the cinema at the time but i was really into it i was like this is this is fucking awesome like it was it, it the pacing was so good it was like there was so much suspense he didn't know what the hell was going on everybody like seemed really scared of something but you weren't really sure what and then when the big reveal happens it was just like oh yeah that's so shit it's one day and it's just some sort of fear-mongering to keep them in the community yeah. god damn you but then it drags on for like another 40 minutes or something you're just like just end it please god in its defense though the M.A. Shyamalan cameo was just a minor reflection in a window oh. in a door in a fridge door I think it was or well, a was he door. not uh, was he not like a, a security guard or something yeah so she I think at the end of that she climbs over the fence and yeah. she gets picked up and he's does he not, speak in a he does. He, uh, I think he does speak on like a walkie-talkie or something. Something like that. He has a few lines. Like, uh, I can't remember the. I was going to say, was, if it was a non-speaking, was it going to say his finest role to date? <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a minor. minor it's no one, no one here like Lady in the World, where he was like an actual yeah. character, kind of. But I think you're right about the downfall, though. I think with Sixth Sense in a way created a brand suddenly and he had to live up to his brand and his brand was twisty turny and to the very end we're going to completely pull the rug from under you. And ironically, I think with something like Unbreakable. That twist is... I, I kind of knew the twist going in. I just knew. you know, Like, it's it's a superhero film, pretty much. So you know there's going to be a good guy and there's going to be a bad guy. So the twist wasn't necessarily the big part of it for me. The, the journey was. Whereas with The Sixth Sense, I think the journey and the twist kind of go hand in hand. Whereas Unbreakable, for me, his best film is when the twist is completely out there very, very early on. Even then, I, I, like, I don't think the film needs the twist particularly for... Like, for example, I think... If he was as arrogant as I think he was, and if he was as confident in what he was putting out there as I think he was, now this could, I don't know if he's agree with me, I actually think they shouldn't have had the scene of him remembering he's a ghost. Maybe the last Just scene was, was Haley Joel Osment's character Cole saying to Bruce was, you should talk to her in your sleep. That's the best time. 
right? Yeah. And then him saying, I'm never going to see you again, but goodbye. And then you can go home. That like That's the last scene. You go home and you think, wait a second. He was, he a, was ghost. a ghost. Yeah. And I think that would have worked even more. Like, because then, cause then he doesn't have to have that big reveal. Because I think the reveal is a bit, a little bit, bit mawkish. You know, where it kind of like, I love you, I'll always love you and all this kind of thing. Yeah, and you think, flash of light. Yeah. Like, that's so cliche, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Like, when, it, when oh, the yeah. screen moves on, the whole screen kind of mm. bleaches itself. Away, so, like, so. They didn't, I don't think he needs to do that. Like, he could have cut those last three minutes off. And I think as well, people wouldn't have then expected, and he wouldn't have expected himself to have that big reveal. Because I think it's not even the twist. It's more the reveal he seems yeah. to enjoy. Because like, look how smart they are. Again, it comes down to how, exactly. how arrogant he is. Yeah. He's like, look how smart I was. I had you all tricked. You know what I mean? And I think with the sixth sense, if he maybe had said, right, I won't do that. A, I think it would respect him more. And B, I think it would have shown his arrogance even more. Because suddenly it would be like, oh, he even had the restraint to not throw it's in a twist trying. and say, look how great I am. Yeah. Now, I don't know. Like Maybe it wouldn't have worked. It like, definitely wouldn't have had the buzz. But I think right now people would talk about saying Oh my god! I watched the Sixth Sense for the first time. I can't believe this. You know what I mean? Like no, I think that would. I, I think you're right. Definitely, they could have cut it off. Uh, Haley Joel Osment telling him to talk to her in his sleep and and left it at that. Yeah. And it it would have still been just as effective. Effective. Yeah. You you wouldn't have, you would have left people thinking. You know, is he a ghost? Isn't he a ghost? Shit, mm. he is. I think he's definitely a ghost, isn't he? Like, I think the scene yeah. that would have if if we played that hypothetical route, the scene that would have you would have connected the most with as an audience as if you were at the pub or ever talking yeah. about it would be in the hospital when he's in the bed yeah. and he says this like I'm ready to tell you everything that he says about like they don't know that they're dead they don't see other dead people yeah. it's zoomed in Bruce's Bruce's face. Face. Yeah, that's what I mean I think it would have worked so like I, now thinking back I'm like imagine watching that and then maybe not even getting it straight away and then you're walking out of the cinema you think wait a second yeah. But, but do you think as as a as a counterpoint though, do you think that that would have been as effective from an audience point of view? No, so no, it definitely wouldn't. Covered every for, don't get me wrong. For a mainstream audience, no way. Like there wouldn't people that would have said, "Well, that was a stupid ending." Like I know that for a fact, a hundred percent. I fully agree with you. But I think if he's talking about his legacy and kind of how he's tarnished himself with having these big reveals, it's like this: when you go to see a magician, some people are happy with just seeing the trick and saying, "How the hell did he do that?" Mm-hmm. Other people say, "Here's here's the trick." Let me show you how he did it. People prefer that. So like someone like yeah. Darren Brown over David Blaine or whatever. You know what I mean? Like an illusionist yeah. or anyone like that. Some people like to have the trick explained to them. And that's fine. And I think the mainstream audience, that's what they want. But I think as a film and just as pretty much as a, as a piece of that film, which I think was restraint, I think that was probably the most self-indulgent part of it. And that's fine. He can be self-indulgent. But I think he was self plenty of self-indulgent was going throughout that film. Like he had those mawkish moments even. And they worked better with Tony Collette. Because unfortunately, with that mom for Bruce Willis, he's acting against Olivia Williams, who is again sleeping and cold again. So <laughs> yeah. there's not much he can get out of that besides her mumbling in her sleep, like "I love you too," I think, or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, it's like, an affirmation mm, of love or whatever, and then exactly white screen. Exactly, like what well, I mean, as a scene, did it really work? No, as a reveal, it did obviously because you're getting the flashback, you're getting the, how pre- people perceive what they want to perceive, and I think. That's fine. I think he gets the themes across everything. But surely, I think, if he was as confident in that piece of work he put out there, stop it right there when he's saying goodbye to Cole. Because let's be honest, it was more about a relationship between him and Cole than him and his wife. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I think for the mainstream audience, no. But for me, I think I would have preferred them, you know? Yeah, that kind of leads us quite nicely into the story aspect, actually, um, in terms of you saying relationship between him and Cole. There's no real major story arc to this film. Like, mm. all the story arcs are, are, are minor ones which occur 
specific to characters and their relationships and they all intersect at certain points and culminate at the end which I, I really liked because there was no big objective the main main objectives were based on the characters' journeys themselves. So you had like um, very internal journeys as well. Yeah. yeah. So you had the you had Cole, who was basically just didn't want to be afraid anymore and needed to learn how to control mm. his gift. Yeah. You had Bruce Willis, who, um, sorry, Doctor Malcolm, <laughs> Bruce Willis. He has this whole redemption storyline based on the horrible event that happened with Vincent at the beginning of the film, mm. who was actually. Um, visually portrayed as, as a believable yeah. older version of yeah. Cole. Like and the white, in the, the end, he, end yeah. he had the same abilities. Same abilities, Cole, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it was kind of like his unfinished business, the mistake he made in life, he can rectify in death. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think the most heartbreaking character journey for me, and is is the character that gets no real recognition, is Anna, Olivia Williams' character. All of the other characters have each other in some yeah, way. Yeah, and she gets over by herself. Yeah. She does it by herself. Mm. And she's, for the whole film, she's completely isolated. She's reclusive. She she can't let go of Bruce Willis. She has no visibility. Watching those videos over and over again. Yeah, yeah. you see her, she's either asleep or she's like going through these motions of anniversary kind of milestones the restaurant scene where he turns up and um you think that she's just mad at him or something but she's doing it on her own and and she doesn't really get any closure until the end so i think the only way i would disagree with you on that point oh, yeah it's not giving olivia williams the ending she, she yeah, deserves yeah and like and no one really kind of i feel bad for her character because she doesn't get <laughs> well as here's much the of thing a, right yeah. if um the way the way I kind of viewed it was Cole Seer. Oh, by the way, he would have his own weekly show on CBS called The Seer, who sees ghosts <laughs> and solves crimes. Um, he could have clearly, like, he could have been the one to actually break that news to Olivia Williams and saying everything that Bruce Willis wanted to say. Yeah. They could have even had the last, the last shot could have been him knocking on a on a door, Olivia Williams answering the door, and I think it would have worked just as well because, like I said, I just think giving Bruce Willis that moment. To a half asleep woman, it's just not as interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like the reason, um, the reason the Tony Collette moment works so well because it's so visceral. Even the moments, any moments between Bruce Willis and Cole, or sorry, Heidi Joel Osment, work so well because they're both there present. Because literally, even though he's a ghost, so technically he's not present. Bruce was a lot more present in that conversation than Olivia Williams, and I don't think her half asleep is giving her the Jew that she deserves. I think you're right. I think she deserves a Jew, but I think even that scene you're talking about, it doesn't. It still doesn't give her the Jew she actually deserves, like yeah. for the journey she takes. Yeah, yeah. It, it closes the loop on her story, but yeah. it doesn't really... In fact, it gives, it like... gives. if anything, it gives Bruce Willis the closure, but I don't think it gives her, her any closure because mm-hmm. the thing is, what the next day she might think, oh, I had a really dream about Bruce Willis. And I, he always said he always loved me. Would that, how would, like, I just can't see how that's going to make her say, I'm going to move on. I'm gonna... Yeah, she's still living in a house where yeah. everything happened. She still has all of his stuff there. Yeah. Like, that She obviously preserved the basement with all yeah. of his case files and his see, possessions. I wonder about that, right? That the basement thing, because you see him always trying to get into the basement, right? And it's, it's blocked up. But there is scenes with him in the basement. And this was a question I had, actually, and I wanted to ask both of you, like, what you thought of it was, do you think that she was, she felt she was, like, being haunted by him? Oh, yeah. Because the basement door is, like, it's not locked. It's blocked up at the end. You see it, like, she's got, like, books in front of it. So, in a way, she is trying to kind of move on to an extent. Yeah. She's unable to because there's, whatever it is, there's that presence that's flitting in and out of her life. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. 
Yeah, that's that's actually I hadn't even thought of that. Because maybe the reason she isn't able to move on is because his presence is He's literally still there a lot. Yeah, like it's kind of constantly coming in, and maybe him, like maybe even then that ending would have again without having that him just going is enough to kind of know. He's at peace and I can be at peace now, yeah. you know? Like the basement door is not just going to randomly be yeah. found open. Yeah, yeah. Um, she Like, she knows now that he's gone. He's left. He's he's in, like, resting in peace, yeah. if you will. That's a good point, actually. She, yeah, and she's... I think that there were a couple of things that happened in the film as well, which would have jarred her a bit more. Like, when she kind of has that sort of breakthrough moment in terms of getting away from that. Oh, and the... the with a sh- window shattering off, she kisses the other guy mm-hmm. um that kind of thing like everything's permeated but i actually think that house was haunted by something else before bruce willis was oh. around there because at the beginning of the film when she goes down the stairs it was cool she's she gets the cold thing and yeah. all the cameras are really sinister there's that it's actually really creepy kind of mm. just open door down to down there with the, like the cold so they're just just black it could be though that they're all just uh, i assume with cole it's not that like this place is just severe. Everywhere he goes is haunted. They're attracted to him. Like that, you know, when the cyclist dies, they come to him. So mm. I think maybe because Vincent was there, the reason uh, they discussed that maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So I think maybe yeah. that could be. I don't know. Like No, no, that's yeah. actually, that's that makes a lot more sense, yeah. actually. Because I, I didn't put those two and two together. Yeah, because he was already in the house, probably, at that point. Yeah, but he, he was upstairs. Been like a magnet to yeah. whatever could have been. But I kind of, I yeah. love the idea of them being like that magnet and people just see them as like this beacon that can get me through to the next the next stage because that, like that's one thing that Shyamalan loves is kind of fate showing that fate that leap of fate even um, it's not until Bruce Willis sh- like literally says okay I don't really believe in that he sees talks to dead people but I'm going to just take that leap of fate and he's rewarded for it and Tony Collette once she takes that leap of fate says okay tell me what it is to Cole and Cole puts it out there and then he says look this is what I'm going to tell you the information and mm. then they take she takes a leap of faith with him and says okay yeah. because if you see he, it's permeates throughout throughout films like Bruce Willis doesn't believe in a like lady in the water but even the village like they have to make that jump they have to say let's go beyond this let's yeah. see if there's anything more it's always about a search for more and I think the sixth sense on a smaller scale works so much better because it is on a smaller scale it's not I think I think Lady in the Woods was similar They because they all had to band together and, and take that kind of leap of faith to protect I can't remember the, the specifics but I know at the end they all had to kind of group up as a, as a community to do it, essentially the same thing yeah it's it's interesting how a lot of this film the way it's filmed lends a lot of weight to the actual overall storyline and the character journeys yeah, yeah. like a lot of it's very understated which what which is what kind of puts the ending at odds with that. Yeah. You don't get anything in your face about Tony Collette's character. Like you, you get no. little snippets and how she dresses in comparison yeah. to that, the people she socializes with. Definitely. The state of the house. And the school, she, you can tell the school that he's going, Cole goes to is a particularly good school. And she says, I'm working two jobs. Two jobs. You know how much she's saying. She's busy. Cole, yeah. is, Cole is going to be something. I'm going to make sure he is. And how protective she is. Like, I, just, like, I think she's amazing because yeah. Yeah. you know so much about her character. But she probably has the least amount of screen time yeah. of the four principal actors. But she is amazing in that yeah. film. Like, I have another question on the story as well. You know the way Cole always has like the injuries? Mm. And when she takes them out of the... Like the little cubby hole in the in the kid's house that he goes to the birthday party, and when she checks him later on when he gets back from the hospital, he's got like markings on his back and a hole in the in his jumper. So I still, um, maybe I'm just not clever enough to get it, but I, I don't understand who injured him. Well, I think with the ghost at the like at times the ghost can 
breakthrough like when at times of extreme anger extreme anguish so you know with um, Bruce Willis he's at least able to pick up a stone and throw it yeah. but that's when he sees his wife who he still loves as far as he's turned she's cheating on him oh, he breaks he throws the window. stone and I think with um, the pendant for example it's when she just wants um, Tony Collette's character to notice her that's what yeah. it's about it's like notice me notice me the granny wants to make that connection because her unfinished business is thanks to Tony Collette mm. I'm proud of you and then with that moment all that guy wants to be is let out let out let out so at that moment he's getting so anxious because he finally sees someone because I can imagine he's gone years and years centuries centuries yeah, probably. possibly yeah. without anyone letting him out and then suddenly this kid is waiting outside and he knows the kid waiting outside and when he gets him in there he's able to like why would you let me out you know mm. so he can kind of I think that's what all comes through I think at times of great stress or mental anguish or whatever I think yeah. the ghost can kind of yeah. break through to the real world because you never see the, any anything Move. impact anything so when because you, you said he threw the stone but I don't know if we saw that I, I don't know if, if you look at the impact of the glass it's yeah. just so it might be just like a whole energy yeah, thing. Like energy, maybe. Yeah. So I don't think we're getting a bit kind of paranormal now, but it's it's which is good. But, but even then, Misha Barton, when she her character needs Cole to see this, she's able to push. She's able to grab ankle. him. She grabs his ankle and, and able to push and the box the out. Box. Yeah. So, like I said, I I'll just I think with Cole Seer, Paranormal Investigator, Episode One, <laughs> I think it shows you that she's like she's able to push things into the forefront because yeah. he has that perception again he took the it's and it's not until the leap of fate where he actually starts talking to bruce willis where he starts getting these cuts i suppose and because suddenly he's able to say these ghosts are real and i'm going to start actively interacting with them and that's when he really does start getting these yeah. moments of clarity with it so and that's like also when you see um uh, Donnie Wahlberg's character Vincent at the beginning when he turns to get the gun out of the sink for the kind of critical moment he has scratches all over his back mm. as well which I didn't pick up on until mm. until you start kind of saying like okay so this is essentially what Cole's going to turn out like if, if he doesn't get doesn't the help, assist. Yeah. yeah but no like I, I just I, I really like that in terms of how um, those characters there was nothing spelt out you had to visually look for these things just to see that kind of stuff and I think it made them a bit richer as characters as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, cultural impact. So, do you guys think that this film is still relevant? Is it? Does it still stand up by today's standards? <laughs> by today's standards, it does because it's funny. I was. Um, have you seen something like The Conjuring or any films like this where like they get they get praised for their restraint? But the f- last forty five minutes of The Conjuring, they have anything but restraint, and that's what that's what's considered now a kind of a slow burning co- like horror film. Whereas The Sixth Sense, in comparison, must be like a Disney film because they literally don't go, they never go too far with scares. Like it's I think the scares, special effects. Yeah, film. in fact, the special effects are pretty bad. Like, like the makeup I find on, yeah. the, like the woman who slit her wrist, it looks like someone got red marker and just said, "There you go, love, <laughs> you're yeah. done." Um, I think, but like I do think cult- cultural impact. I don't think it had much, but when you look at something like um, the others, for example. That's clearly someone said Six Sense made a lot of money. Let's do it. Even um, the Woman in Black, I think it was, with Daniel Radcliffe, would would have been another one where they tried to kind of go for this haunted. Mm. That's part of the the new Hammer horror yeah. resurgence, isn't it? But I don't think it worked. Like I, it made money obviously, but I don't think it had the same impact as Six Sense because Six Sense just got something right. They got, I think they got that moment at the right time because people at that point, you to remember at the end of the nineties, the horror films that were coming out were very meta. So you got Scream. I know you did last summer. 
urban legend where people are like, oh, I'm getting They would literally, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> where they'd say, I'm going to get killed now and then get killed by yeah. an unnamed slasher. Whereas this was at least, like I said, a little bit more tough, a little bit more restrained. The scares yeah. weren't big. They were, they were big in a small moment, you know, so it worked. What about yourself? Do you think it still has any kind of impact? Like, if you were to show this to someone who'd never seen it before, do you think they'd get the same enjoyment you did when you were throwing your popcorn and your Coke in the air? This is... <laughs> I should never have told that. <laughs> this, is, this is actually a tough one for me because on one hand, I don't want to be shallow and say my lack of enjoyment with the director's material in the last few years yeah. uh, hasn't changed my opinion of his earlier films. In some ways, it's difficult not not to be kind of tarnished, not to tarnish how you enjoy these films. Like I, I watched The Sixth Sense recently, just for this as well. I'd seen it a bunch of times before, and actually, I think I wrote some stuff about it back in at university. But now I'm kind of my mind wanders when I watch this film, and I, and I, I see his cameo, and I see like I watched the I watched the the making of you know there's loads of stuff on this film. Like it was one of the first which kind of almost went overboard with the amount of Meticulous, making yeah. of stuff. Um, and I'm like I kind of roll my eyes a bit because I know what he's like as a, as yeah. a director I have a better idea of him and how he perceives himself and films but if I was to show I think if I was to show this to someone who'd never really heard much of M. Night Shyamalan and just watched this film as a standalone film I think it would have impact because it yeah. does there's nothing really in it there's no like CGI that looks dated in three weeks after it's released there's no I mean, apart from a, some kind of ropey makeup, makeup effects, yeah. I think it stands on its own merits because the, the, the special effect almost is the screen space, the yeah. use of screen space. Exactly, I fully agree, yeah. And colour, like, with red. Yeah, yeah, and there's, it's, it's it's woven in, and, and they set this, that they were meticulous. They had a, a series of rules that, that, that this film was filmed under to make it work the way it did, to demand that repeat viewing. So I think as a standalone film, without any kind of prejudice around the work of M. Night Shyamalan, his later works, I'd say this film definitely stands up. But if you are watching it as a fan, as a once fan of the guy, and you've seen all of his films up until, I don't know what his latest film was. Uh, the Visit. The Visit. Um, I haven't seen it, but I did watch an Everything Wrong with the Visit <laughs> video, and it just looks, it does look bad. <laughs> um, and the story makes no sense. But um, yeah, I'd say like as a standalone, definitely culturally relevant, definitely something to watch, interesting storyline. Outside of that, not so much. But here's the thing with um, Shyamalan, for example. So I don't know how you feel about Unbreakable. I love it. Five out of five every time for me. Six Sense, really good. Not quite five stars. Not even four and a half. But still, I think they're two very good films. I really like Science. I think the ending is a bit hokey and whatever. But I really like it. I think it's a lot of fun. Like I can justify it to myself, this, the ending, whatever. Because I still enjoyed 90% of it. And my question is... Say suddenly now his next three films he brings out are all of, of the level of the sixth sense or higher. Does that suddenly then say, okay, well, that was a blip? Because think about it, Spielberg can have those films where it's like the War of the Worlds. I know people weren't fully gone on AI, for example, even though it's a lot of revisionists are saying it's correct. But either way, it's a time that would have been kind of not as well regarded. But Spielberg was given this kind of allowance to say, oh, well, he's going to come back and do something great. So are we being too harsh on Shyamalan here by maybe? I don't know. Time will tell. I mean, like it's weird because I thought I thought I had a very clear idea of like where people were at yeah. before we went into this this cast, and uh, I think I'm I'm actually turned into the one that's the most anti shaman <laughs> <laughs> I think the big I think I, I kind of took it a bit personally, um, purely because of the last Airbender. That film was based on a on an a, animated series, which is one of my favorite yeah, animated series of all time, and uh, he just 
like he 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 fucked up. He like and yeah. and I'm not just saying that as like you know some fans are, are unpleasable. Like you can't please certain yeah. hardcore fans. Like you're an type person that says if you change something, you're not gonna not see it or you're not. Gonna oh yeah, ruined like, it. But with him, it I was, mean, I like the I liked I love the Watchmen book, but I, I also love the film. So like yeah. I, I'm yeah. I'm very liberal with that kind of yeah. stuff. But this he did such a botched job of it. There was no. There was no nothing redeemable. Maybe it's gone. It, maybe it was a budget thing. Like when you're given too much money, sometimes you just yeah. kind of, I suppose, indulge and like kind of lose all reason and forget what was you know what made it great in the first place. Like you see it happening to all direct, like a lot of directors mm. anyway. Not all of them, but some people they start off small. They're they're like amazing. They if you keep them restrained, they they're able yeah. to create something from that. Like uh, like less is more kind of but the, the as soon as you give them more money they they just fucking extra money they just say this is what i can my imagination can go anywhere i want whereas yeah. unfortunately with someone like Shyamalan, that was not a particularly good thing but yeah. i think it's a downfall of a lot of directors who kind of don't really have who just suddenly hit big with something but partly the reason why a film their film hits big is because it didn't have a huge budget they had some restraints there which made them have to think a bit more creatively yeah which made the film a little bit more authentic looking and a bit more timeless because it didn't necessarily rely on the crutch of CGI or something which is like specific mm. to or, the time. Or attracting a, a major audience. Like, yeah. They did, like, when you're putting 100 million, you have to be making 200 million, you know, whereas with this, a film like that, they could say, well, look, Bruce Willis is enough. That's that's what your, your special effect in this film is Bruce Willis in your film. Because... Like, no one else is going to see it because oh new Tony Collette films out I must go see that <laughs> yeah. unless you're the biggest world like Muriel's wedding fan in the world but I think Bruce Willis was his was his selling point and then everything around that he kind of could do so I think maybe you're right mm-hmm. they can like their constraints equal restraint for for Shyamalan which is yeah. unfortunate because like I said I do think there is some talent there for like I said framing I think it'd be a really good kind of set like a second unit director you know <laughs> like I don't know, yeah. that, that sounds like false praise but re- like really i do think as a second he can frame a shot i think he could, if he had someone else's script and said you follow this i think he could frame a shot fairly well so yeah i think he he has he definitely has talent but he just needs to control himself a bit mm-hmm. not get too carried away with himself mm-hmm. um i just worry as well that like how much that arrogant streak he needs to actually create a film but then how much the arrogant streak can ruin him it's almost like his yeah 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 Uh, yeah, i think the the confidence that's brought by that can often open doors certain creative areas and then close off a lot of others like and yeah it's i i think with Shyamalan, i think my my sort of closing points around cultural impact would be he tends to what happened was with sixth sense he had a film which hit massively big it had a had a gimmick at the end a twist which brought people back for second or third viewings it had a a structure which was very easily studyable, a puzzle box. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's like there was like a there was a there was a trail to follow and a mystery to unravel, which is visually as well as from a story point mm. of view. Um, but I think that after that happened, studios and there was he he also maybe himself thought that he needs to replicate that formula. Yeah. So he kept doing that. Like I mean, Bruce Willis. I mean, I'm the the kid and Bruce Willis in the second film could quite easily just have been. Um, a version of Malcolm and a version of Cole. Like, yeah. th- the kid even looks like Haley Joel Osment yeah. in the second Yeah, like film. Bruce Willis is still stoic, still kind of closed off, still needs to take a leap of faith. Whereas yeah. the kid is the believer, the kid is the one saying, you need to do this, you know. Yeah. So, 
You're probably right. And but... I think that's the path that, that was followed after that. Obviously, Bruce Willis wasn't in all of those films, and Henry Joel Osment kind of dropped off and went into education again after that. But like he he kind of started to become. I think he became a victim of his own gimmicks. Yeah, that's what yeah. he became his brand, like a Shyamalan yeah. brand. Like when you go see a Shyamalan film, that's what you expect. It's be a twist. Which it's is weird be because like it's because <laughs> he was actually likened to Steven Spielberg after The Sixth Sense and after Unbreakable. And with Spielberg, he never went in for his brand crap. He said, well, you can say I'm a blockbuster director, but like, for example, in 93, he did Schindler's List and Jurassic Park. You know, he was willing to change it up. Whereas I think with Shyamalan, when that success came, he said, oh, stick with this, stick with this, this will work. But at the same time as well, Spielberg is like a director more so than a writer. True, yeah. Whereas like Shyamalan is is writing the majority of this stuff and directing it. So I think you get wrapped up in your own kind of ego. Definitely. Well, he should just be that. a director. Yeah. I think if he just just said like, "Listen, I had I had a good thing with a sixth sense. I wrote it. It was an idea I had because something that popped into my mind. Yeah, uh, I'm just gonna direct." But now. then, don't forget, <laughs> afterward, starring the Smiths, he directed uh, that. Yeah, lot lot of people know. <laughs> Will Smith, Jaden Smith. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm the Scientology propaganda. Like oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think it will be appearing on the list. But um, oh, like no. I, I do, I think he's a talented director. Like I said, I don't, I put, don't put him on, on even close to the same level of some of like his peers from the late nineties onwards. So like Paul Thomas Anderson, for example, not even close. But I do think like I, I, I'd find this. There's a lot of revisionism with um, with Shyamalan, and I think because of that, like in a way, it's like his legacy is tainted. But it's we shouldn't look at. Uh, the Indiana Jones trilogy any differently because Crystal Skulls was dog shit or whatever you know just gonna block it from the, the, yeah. the memory Already same with the Star Wars episode yeah. 1 and Star Wars exactly. episode 1 too. Like, that's yeah. the thing look how quickly two, three, pe- look how quickly people are to forget Star Wars the prequels when Force Awakens came out and everyone really loved it or whatever <laughs> yeah. even though it got it kind of got away with a lot of remake stuff there with A New Hope whereas if Shyamalan I think was to come out with film there is a certain expectation now that this is going to be terrible. We can't wait. You know, I think there's like the knives are kind of <laughs> out for Shyamalan in a way, which I don't think is particularly fair. Is it wise? It's probably deserved to be fair. He's he has a lot of stinkers now in a row. Like it's not. <laughs> this isn't like w- like fool me twice, same one. You know, shame on me. So I don't think um, I don't think it's unwarranted or anything. But I, I think if he came out like you said, I think if he came out with three more films or X amount of films yeah. or whatever, we'd, we'd consider to be very good um, and just just good films. That that kind of that stinker zone where he didn't do so well, I think that would almost be forgiven. Whereas if you look at Star Wars, what happened was is it or well, it seems like episodes one, two, and three were released and people kind of watched it and it made loads of money because it was Star Wars mm. and they'd been kind of starved for Star Wars for a long time. Granted, they were a pile of ass, but um, when Force Awakens came out, that seemed to kind of spark this massive revisionist movement of people going back to one, two, and three, and just picking it apart, like just ripping it to shreds and almost vilifying George Lucas. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it's weird, and then it created this other thing where people were saying, "We need to get George Lucas to do Episode Nine because it's the only fair thing to do." And these are the same fans who ripped him apart yeah, for Episode yeah, One, Two, and Three. So the fickle nature of uh, social media. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's yeah. what I mean. I think if, um, for example, if Six Sense kind of came out in the ni- 1981, say he w- he would have gotten away with a lot of these flops because it wouldn't have been this thing where it would have been his name wouldn't have become ubiquitous with failure mm. as it became because 
the problem was he started making these flops in like 2005 2006 when the internet really was starting to hit its stride and suddenly he became like a punchline almost I think that's unfair. That's the only thing I will say. I'm not saying he's a great director, but I think he's a good director that kind of has been kind of whitewashed a little bit by people here. I think, you mm. know, I think... And at the same time, though, like for as much shit that we might give him or the internet might give him, he's still getting Can't work. movie gigs, you know? Yeah. So somebody has faith in him. He's obviously making money. I think you said that every single one of his movies has made a profit except for maybe afterward one of them though it's yeah. literally until 2013 or 2012 anyway he, every yeah. film had turned yeah. a profit so even if they're not well received critically um, there's an audience for it there's an audience for it exactly and who are we to tell people not to go see films well that's exactly what this podcast is yeah, <laughs> yeah well these films are all, all gone you're not going to get to see many of these in the cinema ever again that we review but, um, so final thoughts the the, the question that we, we, we must pose as a group. Is this list worthy? Does this belong on such an esteemed, prestigious list of films? Do you need to see it before you die? That's the question. Well, it doesn't matter because we're all going to be ghosts at the end anyway. It's yeah. true. Unless yeah. Cole Sear, criminal investigator, But if you us. two does that mean I'm going to be like this tormented, haunted person where you guys need me to do something You'll need you. to find a child. Yeah. Like, I, that sounds creepy, but you, shit, shit, <laughs> you need to yeah, just look. This is the sixth sense too. Just look for yeah. troubled children. One of them will be able to see us, and they'll, they'll that kid will help you move on, and us move on. Yeah, I'm gonna sixth send you one on the return of Gavin Craig. Yeah. yeah. Slash yeah. poor James. Hashtag. Electric Boogaloo. Electric <laughs> This is why we're not allowed to make films. But, so. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't care. I'll make the sequel. Cold Seer, Paranormal Investigator. Yeah, It'd be amazing. Let's write the script. Let's pitch this. To I'd, I'd probably watch that. TV show even. Wish... CBS would take it up. I'm if sure. If I enjoyed yeah. After Earth, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> should get an There's that. an audience for this shit. So. <laughs> um, well, where do I come down? I, I think I feel like I've been the one who's defending Six Sense the most. But I, funny enough, I actually don't think it should be on the list. I think um, it cribs a lot from films of the 70s and ghost stories of the 50s. And I do think it's been done since. Like, you could see the others or you could see The Sixth Sense. I think you're going to get the same thing from it. I think the performances are great and I think there's some lovely moments in it. But I think, as a film, I don't think you particularly need to see it. Now, if you want to see what was one of the big films of 1999 and you looked it up and you saw on the list, so Sixth Sense was in the top five, you'd be like, oh, maybe. But even then, we were saying in terms of cultural impact, it hasn't really had much. So if you're seeing something from 99, I'd say something like, the Blair Witch Project, which really did start a movement of film footage, for example. I think that's yeah. a horror film from that, yeah, from that year. Genre. It became a genre. Exactly. Yeah. That, that yeah. is literally, I think that's something that maybe you would need to see. Whereas with this, it's a well-made horror film that was made in the 50s, made in the 60s, made in the 70s, made in the 90s again. But I don't think yeah. you need to see it before you die. Yeah, there was, there was nothing particularly new in the sixth sense like it was it was well made it, it is like it, for me it took about maybe 40 minutes of the film where it it really gets going like I know it's a slow builder I like I did enjoy watching it the second time but I, I did also kind of have to force myself to sit down like I was dreading watching this <laughs> film again because I've only seen it once and there was a reason I've only seen it once but I'm older now and I know you know we're trying to be objective with these and, and kind of be unbiased and sit down and watch them with a more critical eye so the last 40 minutes for me were probably the best part of the movie and as we were talking about like the reveal at the end I think if that was left out it would have ended way better the self-indulgence at the end doesn't doesn't lend itself to 
to the making the film. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it kind of you know it kind of mars the film a little bit, but not enough to to put somebody off. I don't think. Yeah, I I don't think there there has been films done like that many times before, and there's nothing there's nothing about it for me that stands out that makes me say to somebody you should definitely watch this go and watch this like you're going to learn so much from watching this mm. film but, but like, like by all means if someone was to say oh should I watch it I'd be like if you have the choice you can watch like if they said will I watch others or Sixth Sense I'd say it's much for muchness you know um, that's I think where it comes down to whereas if someone said should I watch X crappy found footage film or Blair Witch I'd say watch Blair Witch it's the first one you can see how it kind of came about you know yeah, and yeah. that's where it comes down to for me anyway so yeah I'd say for me I'd actually prefer to have seen, preferred to have seen, sorry, Unbreakable yes. on this list instead. Uh, but that might also be because I'm biased towards comic books. Mm. Um, so I don't know, That that's that's a whole other conversation to have yeah. on a future podcast, I guess. But yeah, I, I think it's it's a good film. It's solid. It's well done. It's well crafted. Uh, it's not as memorable. I think maybe it's on the list for the wrong reasons maybe it's on the list because of that twist gimmick but there's plenty of films that have had twists exactly, in, them in yeah. the past so I don't think it should be on there I definitely think it's a film that if you like kind of ghost stories and you like films with a little bit of foreboding and paranormal kind of themes definitely worth a watch but as a, a yeah, list of something just, yeah. to watch you have to see that will change your life before you die yeah. no as a piece of pop, cult- pop culture history fine as a piece of film history no. Not particularly, I don't think not particularly relevant to it. So. Okay, so uh, next week our film is going to be The Thing, John Carpenter's 1984. I want to say four. It could be. It could be earlier than that. Yeah, it might be 82. Guys, we meant to know this stuff. That's fine. <laughs> We're going to fact check this right now. Right now, live on air. Oops. 1982. You were you were correct. Like a beer to you, my good man. <laughs> uh, so 1982. Um, Kurt Russell starring uh, and we also have directed by John Carpenter um, we're actually going to see this because it's playing at a cinema near us um, so it's going to be pretty awesome because I think we all like this film and to see it on the big screen um, is kind of like a once in a lifetime thing because it yeah. wouldn't we would never have had the opportunity to see this at, at, the, at the on the big screen so um, we'll be talking about that next week and um, we may even record it straight after the showing so it'll be like a very very late night slash early morning recording drunk but it will be drunk fresh drunk cast drunk cast yeah, yeah. Um, we have to be able to make sentences though <laughs> they won't um, make sense but I can make sense <laughs> so uh, so Craig where where can you find us where are we online on the interwebs you can find us on twitter at before you die pod uh, on facebook just by searching before you die podcast or on our website at before you die podcast dot com and also, uh, leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes. Please. please. Thank I you. I thought you were going to say something about following you again. Like in no, the last no, no, one. no. Someone started following me, so I can't anymore, you know. So someone is actually following you. We got you max just one yeah. stalker per one week. One stalker per week. This is starting to become like a story of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it will be. Please stalk guys. Cold Seer. Please. Cold Seer. Paranormal <laughs> Investigator. Make it happen. We can. Okay, wave at the microphone, guys. Bye. Bye. An average man with an average life. I work from 9 to 5 Hey, <laughs>